Ms. Yamina Bruno. I'm a professor of Cincinnati Children's and the scientific director of the Pediatric Rheumatology Collaborative Study Group, or PRCSG. And I'm delighted to present to you today on juvenile psoriatic arthritis and enthesitis-related arthritis, current challenges, and future outlook. Please note my disclosures. This presentation is sponsored by Novartis Medical Affairs, and I have been compensated for my time. Juvenile idiopathic arthritis, or JAA, can be classified as per the International League of Associations for Rheumatology, or ILA, classification criteria. Although developed to assist with research, the ILA classification criteria are commonly used to help with the diagnosis of children and to categorize them in one of the now established seven mutually exclusive JIA categories. The ILA classification assumes that the different categories of JAA cluster around different genetic backgrounds. And that is depicted on the figure below, where polyarticular rheumatoid factor positive JAA clusters with seropositive rheumatoid arthritis. There is a seronegative JAA cluster, which includes a polyarticular rheumatoid factor negative JAA patients in the oligoarticular JAA patients. Systemic JAA, as we know, is an auto-inflammatory disease. Nonetheless, it has an HLA-ERB1-11 association, and there is spondyloarthropathies and spondyloarthritis, and those children either have juvenile psoriatic arthritis or enthesitis-related arthritis. Adult arthritis and JAA are aligned. The seven JAA categories as listed on the right side of the slide align with adult arthritis types, such as rheumatoid arthritis, seropositive rheumatoid arthritis uh, aligns with rheumatoid factor positive uh, JAA, and seronegative rheumatoid arthritis with oligoarthritis and polyarticular JAA rheumatoid factor negative arthritis. What we will focus on today is juvenile psoriatic arthritis, which aligns with adult psoriatic arthritis and enthesitis-related arthritis, which aligns with different forms of spondyloarthritis listed on the slide. ERA is actually quite common, with JPSA being less commonly um, observed and diagnosed. When we look at the incidence and prevalence of the different categories of JAA, it is apparent that oligoarthritis has the highest incidence per 100 children, 100,000 children at 3.7, and a prevalence of 16.8 per 100,000 children. The median onset with oligoarthritis is relatively low at six and a half years. Now let's focus on ERA. ERA has an incidence of about two per 100,000 children and a prevalence of 4.9. And JPSA is much less common at 0.5 per 100,000 children and a prevalence of 1.3 per 100,000 children. If you do the math, 
about 6% of all JIA patients will have juvenile psoriatic arthritis and 24% ERA. And that is based on a large systematic review. And that needs to consider that the prevalence and incidence of JIA varies across the globe as has been shown by the EPCOCA study, which I'm gonna cite later on as well. Let's go back to the classification criteria and focus on JPSA first. When a child with JIA is, cla is classified as belonging to a certain JIA category, there are inclusion and exclusionary criteria. The exclusionary criteria for JPSA are listed on the right side of the slide, and the inclusionary criteria are as follows. A child can be classified as having juvenile psoriatic arthritis if the child has arthritis plus enthesitis, in the setting of not having psoriasis, but only arthritis, a child can be diagnosed with JPSA if there is psoriasis in a first degree relative, if the child has nail pitting or onycholysis, or if the child has dactylitis. Notably, none of the exclusionary criteria can be present in a child to be classified as JPSA. If one of them were, then they, could be uh, classified as undifferentiated JIA. So what do we know about JPSA clinical presentation? We talked about the dactylitis, which is shown on the left upper side of the slide. Um, the different rashes with psoriasis are difficult sometimes to diagnose, shown on the left lower side of the slide is a hand rash of a, a small child uh, with psoriasis, then psoriasis at the hairline and the typical nail pitting and prittleness of the finger shown on the right lower part of the slide. We do know that about 2.1% of children are diagnosed with psoriasis and 2 uh, to 4% of adults have psoriasis. Among the adults with psoriasis, about 30% will progress to uh, psoriatic arthritis especially in the setting of obesity. Most of the patients who develop adult psoriatic arthritis have previously been diagnosed with psoriasis. This is not the case for juvenile psoriatic arthritis, where very often joint disease is present way before psoriasis develops. With JPSA enthesitis, meaning inflammation of the insertion site of a tendon into the bone, are inflamed in about 33% of the children, and uveitis can occur in about 10% of them. About 20% of children with JPSA are obese, and that's higher than with other categories of JA, also pointing to the likely risk of obesity to develop joint disease in the setting of psoriasis. JPSA is known to have a biphasic disease onset, one early onset between the ages of two and four and a late onset between the ages of nine to 11. The analysis from the CARA registry nicely compares the phenotypes of children with JPSA and early disease onset with those with late disease onset. This is summarized on the table on the slide, early disease onset, 
uh, patients were 82, and there were uh, data on 260 JPSA patients with late disease onset. With early disease onset, children are much more likely to have dactylitis, develop uveitis, and test ANA positive compared to low on, late onset disease. With late onset disease, male's gender is more common, psoriasis is more common, and the situs and back involvement of sacroiliitis is more common. Based on this diversity in the phenotype between late and early onset of JPSA, there are ongoing discussions whether these two types of JPSA should really be classified in the same JA category, or whether there would be a better way to classify JPSA patients. Now let's move over to uh, ERA or enthesitis-related arthritis and the ILA classification criteria for that JIA categories. A child can be classified as having ERA in the setting of arthritis plus enthesitis or arthritis or enthesitis with at least two of the following. HLA-B27 positivity, a history of ankylosing spondylitis, enthesitis-related arthritis, sacroiliitis with IBD, reactive arthritis, or acute anterior uveitis in a first-degree relative. If the child, him or herself, um, have acute symptomatic anterior uveitis in the setting of sacroiliac joint involvement and inflammatory back pain. And if the, if the child with arthritis is a male and six years or older, as with JPSA, none of the exclusionary criteria can be present for a child to be classified with ERA. And the exclusionary criteria for ERA are the presence of psoriasis in a first-degree relative or in the child, him or herself, a positive rheumatoid factor test, the presence of systemic arthritis, or if the child uh, qualifies for more than one JAA category. So what about the clinical presentation of ERA? With ERA, very often the lower extremities and the enthesis in the lower extremities are involved. On the right upper part of the slide are clinically evaluable and the situs sites depicted. And with ERA, more commonly the lower extremities are involved, meaning around the knees, the hips, and the ankle, and ankle involvement with Achilles tendon enthesitis is shown on the right lower part of the slide. We do know that anywhere between 40 and 65% of children with ERA will test positive for HLA-B27. And that during the disease follow-up, 20 25% of them will develop acute uveitis. And there's also a higher risk of developing inflammatory bowel disease than with other JIA categories. Now, as becomes clear from my earlier presentation, there is some overlap between ERA and JPSA, and that has been assessed uh, in, the, uh, in the CARA registry. So ERA patients are somewhat older at diagnosis compared to JPSA patients on average. 
they are more likely to be male in gender. Conversely, JPSA patients are more likely to have poorly articular joint involvement, and they are less likely to have sacroiliitis compared to ERA patients. Now, when we look at ch children with JPSA or ERA with and without uh, sacroiliitis, those with sacroiliitis or older diagnosis, and they're also more likely to need biologic DMARDs for treatment. HLA-B27 status is one of the inclusionary criteria for ERA as per the ILA classification criteria. But a child can be classified nonetheless with ERA in the setting of HLA-B27 negativity. Now let's look what kind of impact HLA-B27 has on the clinical presentation of a child with ERA. If it and that is summarized on the table below. Children who test HLA-B27 positive are somewhat older at the age of onset, and they are more likely to be male in gender. And if a child has ERA and um, HLA-B27 positivity, then they are much more likely compared to those who do not test positive for HLA-B27 to have sacroiliitis. There is not much difference uh, in the number of active joints at diagnosis or the disease activity as measured by the J-SPADA uh, score. JAA is a chronic disease and there is no cure as of yet. Therefore, it is important that children are diagnosed early during the course of the disease so the treatment can be started early. This has been studied specifically for the different JAA categories in the CAPS study. And that what is shown uh, on the slide below, children with ERA and JPSA have the longest disease duration prior to being diagnosed with a disease. And the shortest disease durations are with systemic arthritis, which is understandable because those kids very often have fever and rashes, which brings them to medical attention much more earlier. It is important to note that delay in disease diagnosis is associated with developing damage later on during the disease. And that might be explained uh, by the fact that disease activity over time also leads to damage and late initiation of therapy obviously results in damage. Indeed, from a study from the Nordic country, we know that the long-term prognosis with JPSA and ERA is rather bleak. This has been shown in a population-based study which followed children for over 17 years. And as is summarized in the table below, for JPSA and ERA, there is joint damage in over 22% of JPSA patients and 13.5% of ERA patients, 17 years of diagnosis. And when we just go over to the right side, uh, damage is um, more common than with extended oligoarticular or with even system uh, with systemic arthritis. Um, please note that there is no damage with rheumatoid factor positive polyarticular JAA in this study, which would 
unlikely be expected, but it's probably due to the low number of patients included in this study. Please also note that active disease with JPSA and ERA persisted uh, during, uh, into adulthood. And actually, um, ERA was the most calm, was at the highest risk of having continuously active disease compared to any JAA category. JPSA patients and uh, ERA patients were also at a high risk for functional disability. As pointed out earlier, there is not only a problem with diagnosing JAA early and rapidly and consistently, there's also an ongoing um, need of having access to better medications. And the CARA group uh, recently showed that together with the PRCSG in a study um, where we compared the uh, JAA um, cohort at Cincinnati Children's with the CARA registry at that time. And what we could show is let's just focus on the children's hospital part on the left side of the figure. More than 50% of children with JAA in the United States will require a biologic treatment to help with, treatment, uh, with disease control. 19% of children with JAA will be exposed to biologic DMARCs that have not been approved for the indication of JA. Similar findings were noted in the CARA registry, which initially enrolled uh, more patients that were um, requiring biologics, and therefore the proportion of children who did not require biologic therapies in the CARA registry a little bit smaller than in the population-based registry at Cincinnati Children. Notably, children with ERA and JPSA are faring the worst. Over 70% 70, 70 of these children will require a biologic DMARD to help control disease features. And as you know, in the United States, there is no medication that has been specifically indicated for ERA. We also know that anywhere between 31 and 55% of ERA and JPSA patients have uncontrolled disease despite having circled through two or more biologic DMARCs. And in this North American cohorts, about 17% of the children had ERA or JPSA, which is a little bit lower what I showed you from the uh, systematic review um, earlier during my talk. So I think that you all agree with me that it's important to control JAA quickly and completely. That means we need to achieve disease, um, inactive disease status with the treatments we render. And we hope for sustained clinical remission, meaning continuously inactive disease over time. It'll be best to have it without medication treatment but as we know, as of now, we have not found a medication that leads to a cure of JIA. It's essential to avoid disease damage because in children with JIA, it's not only articular damage that will develop, there's also differences in growth with resultant leg length discrepancy. And uh, we also need to be aware that we need to minimize the effects of disease 
on growth and development. And I mean not only bodily development, but also social development. We need to make sure that children uh, have normal uh, social interactions and that they can be productive later on in their lives. So in summary, ERA and JPSA are two pediatric JIA categories that are the counterparts of non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis and adult psoriatic arthritis respectively. With these JIA categories, patients will have peripheral arthritis, but also enthesitis, commonly psoriasis, dactylitis, sacroiliitis, inflammatory back pain, and uveitis. And children who test positive for HLA-B27 and those who develop sacroiliitis may have a worse prognosis than others with ERA and JPSA. And we do know that the burden of ERA and JPSA persists into adulthood and is quite profound. And as pointed out earlier, there are still limited treatment options available for ERA and JPSA, despite the available treatments for other forms or other categories of JAA. At this time, I would like to conclude and uh, thank you for listening to me.